Convention is present, but not dominant, for this naturalist look through an unnatural lens. For today's episode, we watched Alfonso Cron's 2006 film, Children of Men. Welcome to Cinematics. I'm Ryan. And I'm Mike. Yeah, so today we are talking about Alfonso Cuaron's 2006 film, Children of Men. Uh, he is also known for having done Gravity, the award-winning Roma, and Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is just a few of his big movies. The screenplay was originally written by Paul Chart, but he's not credited as having written it. Uh, and after that original screenplay, there were several... Uh, rewrites done by multiple writers, including Alfonso Caron, Timothy J. Sexton, David Arata, Mark Fergus, Hawk Ostby, uh, with a final version written by Caron, Sexton, and Arata, with apparently a lot of uncredited input from Clive Owen, which uh, Caron was really excited about some of the things he had to bring to the story. It is based off of a novel by P.D. James, uh, with a budget of $76 million, starring Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, and Claire Hope Achete. It was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing at the Oscars. So, Mike, why don't you tell us why we're doing this movie today? Uh, thanks, Ryan. So, uh, one of the many reasons we're doing this film today is I think it's an astonishing piece of filmmaking. Uh, but furthermore, my introduction to this uh, was pretty special to me. It came in my uh, only year, but my first year of film school. And there, in my class, there happened to be three students from Mexico. Two of them I hung out with regularly, and they introduced me to a bunch of different uh, films that were coming up uh, and around at that time from Mexico. So this was 2008, and this movie came out in 2006. So I I had missed it and Pan's Labyrinth in 2006. So they had showed me both of those, and then they showed me Wreck or REC or whatever the horror movie, and they showed me a few other films, um, and eventually, you know, earlier Alfonso Cuarón stuff like uh, Y Tu Mama Temblen and stuff like that. That's like, like an awesome road trip movie if you've never seen. I it. haven't. I'll have to check it out. It's really good. And yeah, so they, they were just kind of trying to show us, their Canadian compatriots, some Mexican cinema. And that's that's the first time I got introduced to this film. But I mean, we also had it, had we not been, had been lucky enough to have those those Mexican students in our class, we also would have found this movie eventually anyways, because it's a, you know, a cinematographer people and people who like camera work and stuff. This is a movie for them. Uh, there's uh, Emmanuel Lubitsky, who uh, is the cinematographer of this film, and lots of Alfonso Cuaron's movies, is a kind of a master with uh, with uh, um, with a technocrane, I guess, <laughs> uh, as well as a lot of other things. But that the naturalist look he developed and stuff. So we would have watched this movie because there are some amazing blended slash um, single shot kind of. Uh, compositions that are to be studied they're very yeah they're right there they're like very kind of important things for young filmmakers to look at i would think for blocking and big oneers that if you want to know how to do a one shot watch this movie yeah but even so just even where the camera ends up for certain moments is there is to be studied like they're oh, yeah. they're brilliantly brilliantly blocked um yeah, I'm just I just so so the it just, essentially we're watching this movie because I did slightly pick it because you had picked District Nine and um, this 
this uh, this kind of closely resembles it in my head only because it's near future earthbound sci-fi. And so then and then so when you mentioned that movie, this movie kind of came to mind. And so that's why we're doing it. What about for yourself? What uh, context do you bring to this? You know, it's funny. I this this movie came out before I was really in my paying attention to film phase. I was still in that zone of, of like, you know, I watch movies with my mom or like we went to the cinema once in a while to see something in theaters, but it was pretty uncommon that I was. Yeah, you would have been high school for this? Yeah, yeah, like early, like grade nine probably. Yeah, grade nine. So it came out before I was of an age to really know of it. And like so many other great films that uh, have come across my very long list of two watches, uh, this one was recommended to me at some point a couple of times by various people as something that like wow you love science fiction and every every time you're t- like your taste clearly says you should have seen and loved this movie how have you not watched it uh and so uh post when it have when it came out um post high school probably in university sometime my first watch through came uh and i just remember being just blown away by the the representation of of such a sort of dark and dreary world but uh also the way that it works um this balance of hope and nihilism throughout the whole thing that that becomes like the kind of the key struggle in my head uh which i connected with a lot so i've I've seen it quite a few times now uh i've watched it twice in the last few days recently for this show but uh uh yeah i just I saw it and loved it and continue to love it. Cool. So um, I wanted to, we usually go, we usually try to do more technical stuff towards the start of the podcast and then develop into story. Um, We'll try to do that this time, but I already foresee there being a lot of crossover because some of the topics I had given you when, when we were going to, discuss this film to look at was was both world building but also the use of camera and stuff which is kind of two different aspects of the same thing in this film because the use of camera very much is intertwined with the world building in in the same way that the production design is extremely key in world building in this and it's something that normally i would put under the cine but also especially with how it's executed in this movie it's a really big component to storytelling the the production design of 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 everything so i i agree i think there's going to be a lot of crossover but i think that uh people should be used to that by now with us (laughs) (laughs) so i guess let's just start start in we'll start talking about the cinematography but also i want to be able to blend in those world building elements just so because i think one of the best things this film does as a sci-fi future near future film is it allows the audience to slowly piece together the puzzle that is how are we in the environment we're in now and you're forced as an audience member by the way the camera moves to play a spot the difference game (laughs) where you're like oh okay so it's like what we're dealing with but not like what we're dealing with and then i mean when this came out in 2006 was an escalated version of like nationalism and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now here in 2021, we have very recent representation of children in cages and 
uh, things like that that makes this movie that more prescient. And... I mean, the 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 prescience thing and like putting uh, profit profitization of like storytelling and artists to future events is always kind of weird for me because like you know sometimes people just have ideas and and the world eventually reflects them or they they see how things are and and give an accurate representation because they can extrapolate but like even the friggin dates like 2009 they talk about a flu epidemic guess what happened in 2009 we had a flu epidemic you know like there's so many components to that that like lined up really well with how things followed afterwards which is crazy yeah absolutely um so yeah so the the camera moves i guess so the big the three big scenes that everyone always points out or tells people about is the opening shot so uh theo getting coffee putting booze in the coffee the coffee shop exploding so that gets us into the movie and what an entrance oh my god yes and then the next major two the last two i guess would be so everything from them getting in the car and that whole road trip in the car right through the to the police pulling them over the police getting Mm -hmm. shot and then them pulling away from the dead officer which uh, a ton of stuff went into that that we got to talk about. And we absolutely will. And then the final one everyone talks about is the Battle of Bricks Hill. Mm-hmm. So that the whole sequence from the dis, from s- essentially like Sid eight discovering... Discid, I think it's 6.51 or 6.52 or maybe it's a little... Se- I, think, I thought it was in seven minutes, but anyway. Okay. Either way, it's long and it's... Um, but yeah, so from Sid discovering the child to them getting out of the building, essentially, or them, and then all the way through up into the next build, like all of that. What a sequence! What a sequence! Um, but what the th- this thing? So the camera. This is shot in a cinema verite style. Um, yeah, Coron said he wanted to make it documentary esque, where it was like. A documentary about past events again. Yeah. Much like District 9 in the last week's episode. And, you know, and some cinema verite is, like, the classic cinema verite isn't the camera moving this much. It's fly on the wall in rooms and that kind of thing. And sometimes the the director is in the shot and that that's what made it feel gritty and real that type of documentary or whatever <laughs> and this is you know this is the fly on the wall but the fly buzzes around the room it, it it's in but equally it is aiming our focus that that so there's something because you mentioned beforehand that you wanted to talk about uh, my thoughts on on the camera for work for this and one of the things that i was going through and thinking about while i was watching this is that um First of all, the amazing talent of, of the operator and, and the planning and the blocking. But something that I've not ever um, been, like, a huge fan of is, like, I like you okay, so you can tell with, hand, uh, like, shaky cam or, or handheld camera, like, usually there's a, a way in which people shoot it that makes it f- not feel like there's somebody operating the camera. It gives it, like... It's shaking, but it doesn't feel like steps. But there's some shots where it makes the movie makes you very aware of the camera, and that part I it didn't connect with me in this context. Um, mostly in in instances of of like big pans where we're turning as though there's somebody with a camera turning to look at somebody and turning back. Uh, those kind of things that take you out and remind you the camera's there. Uh, aren't necessarily my uh, my favorite way to shoot, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. 
Um, and in the same way that like there's that blood splatter on the lens, which uh, when I first saw it, I was pretty like, oh, that kind of took me out of it. But then I read up on why it was there and was a little bit more forgiving of it, which I don't know if you know that story, but. Yeah, I do. But we'll, we'll get to that when we talk yeah. about that one specifically. But so the first scene, the first scene we were discussing here, the one so starts in the coffee shop, starts on a lock, looked like a locked frame on a coffee shop. And people are looking just off camera right um, at a TV that is giving them the news that baby Diego, the youngest child in the world, <laughs> has died. Poor baby Diego. <laughs> and then the camera breaks its lock to follow our protagonist who, in the locked portion, has made his way through everybody who seems to ha- who, who are themselves locked on the television. Including the writer of the original in- novel. That's right. Uh, who's in the front with a cat in her arms. Uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, Theo, we see, is unlike everybody else, not gripped by the news, seems to be nonplussed by the event, gets his coffee and leaves, and then we follow him out. And as we follow him out, he takes a left out the door, but we don't go left. The camera walks out and looks right, and then does a panoramic of the 180 of the whole street. And then we see Clive Owen's back, Theo's back, and then we we start doing a follow of him. He stops at a newspaper uh, bin. We kind of 180 around him while he puts uh, a little uh, rum or rye or something into his, his coffee. And then we land in and over to witness the coffee shop explode. So I understand what you're saying when you say... It's not in this scene. Oh, no, but but but, but I mean, but that is an example of what you're talking yeah. about. And But that is why I, I said the Cinema Verite thing is that it, it is right away telling you this is like shot like a documentary, shot like a person who you'll never find out who they are, but they are following Clive Owen in a, like, as a specter, as a, like, a, mm-hmm. a some sort of being. And that's the being we're, pre- we're privileged to see through the eyes of in this. We, we set up the rule and then we hold to that rule, which that part I did appreciate is that it was consistent. It was always well executed and they didn't, once it was established, that was, that was the world. That was what we were in and we... And so it didn't vary. I, I will say the efficiency in which they do the world building in this, that they, they do a lot of showing and not telling, and they lo- uh, makes you have to be present and available to really pay attention, or you will be lost at certain points, which, and, and you'll be behind the narrative. Which there's some things in production design I want to talk about that too, but we'll stick with camera for now. But no, but absolutely, and we can, we can get into that now too, but... It, it, that opening scene by not following him exclusively and panning off uh, a establishes those rules will continue to follow throughout the film, but also B it really does. That's some of the first bit of efficient world building. You get a really good sense of what the cities look like, what kind of world this is like. It's not clean. It's not bright. It's quite dreary. It's kind of run down. Like we, we know right away that we're in a world that is not, our own that is not well put together anymore. Alfonso Caron said in an interview that uh, they shot it in London. It's set in London and London is dreary. (laughs) And (laughs) he said it was also winter. And he said the winter dreariness of London, he said they thought there was such a beauty, him and Emmanuel Lubitsky saw such a beauty in that dreariness and they loved morning light. So a lot of the main exterior set pieces 
are shot in morning light. I mean, there's uh, to jump forward a bit to talk about that. There's this beautiful when they're running away from the farm mid movie, and he's pushing the car down the hill, and you've just got like not quite sunrise and just this glow of orange. Oh, it was honestly, I think one of the most beautiful shots in the film. It, uh, it truly is, and I think it, uh, equally. I mean. That we're going to get into the problem we always get into, but just off right after that scene is when they go to that school, that intermediary school. I th- oh well, yeah. no, uh, not not right of. after they go to they go to Jasper's house first, yeah. and then they go to the school. That, that's right. But this at the school, it's not morning light, but there's there's some beautiful yeah. photography yeah. in that school, and it's um, that's that true like serene middle ground of the movie before we go we start our our journey to the back to the normal world or it also it also stands out really well because of the contrast though like so much of the movie is full of gray and dreary and broken and concrete jungle and and you know factories and smoke and all the like you know disgusting dirty that you expect to see in this sort of post-apocalyptic ish world get those glimpses those like little oases of nature of green and pretty and sun and like nice it stands out and really makes you appreciate those moments a lot more yeah for sure and it, and also i think just because i think the framing um considering the camera move is on the move so much the framing in this movie i think is incredible they, they don't miss frames they don't have like uh, any awkward framing that I can see they like they took the time they got the shots and it all is laid out it, it feels it's laid out exactly how they want it to be and I'm gonna say this word a lot but if I think it's efficient <laughs> uh, because the other like that other thing you know that when we're using establishing shots like when we join him that morning when he's waking up in the apartment uh, in his apartment or whatever and there's the sunrise uh, that again a beautiful yeah, morning yeah. light and then there's the I think it's an ad for Quietus. Comes it's his on alarm the... too. Like his alarm yeah. is going off on the TV at the same time as there's an ad for suicide kits. Like that's the worst way to wake up, and that's that but tells also, you everything you need to know about that world. That's really efficient world building mm-hmm. because in a world where there are no ne- there's no next generation coming, I could see the like the grand despair that would be, and ennui that would be falling over everybody. Yeah, and I, and and. The, thinking cynically of course the government would provide something creepy like that and um as like a i mean i got this vibe that almost they're like hey you want to kill yourself and reduce the stress on our economy well that's the please thing. go ahead they're like it can be tough so go for it because to them they need sm- smaller numbers to be able to action all the things they want to they need to action as everything crumbled which is also you know the the root cause of all of the refugee problems too is that you know i will say um there wasn't much criticism i've i heard of this i've heard of this film i read of this film but one of the things i read was someone complaining that they didn't think this was a realistic uh look at what the world how the world would actually act if there was no next generation coming because I, in a way, I guess maybe it is. Maybe we're seeing the the, but the fact, the, their whole thing was that the economy would collapse because what people wouldn't value future no things but anymore. also and, you'd think people f- would commerce is based around futures you also think that people would value life too like you you'd think that there would be a lot less. I mean, again, um, 
perhaps depending on different situations that wouldn't always be true but like if you knew that humanity was dying out and that there was potentially never going to be another generation why would you why would you let people die right why would there be guns and violence and things yeah. like that and the death penalty would be the greatest thing like greatest punishment uh, like, i mean it's still i don't is, mean, i don't no yes absolutely <laughs> uh but what I, like but a more egregious even more egregious sin yeah, I think, yeah. is what i guess i mean oh is i see like, yeah. on the part Much of the, worse. the government yeah because uh, it's already terrible like we were talking about but it's even more terrible if the thing the person you're killing is of a limited supply yeah yeah um i don't know I, I I don't know I but also there's a I I haven't thought enough about the the philosophical ramifications I, I, I of all also, this. I also think that people people sometimes uh, don't act rationally, and while in our heads we think, oh, this seems like if if this pandemic has anything to show, it's that the rational solution and the smart thing to do is not always the thing that people are going to do. Right. Yeah, sure. So I think that there's an argument for that, but uh, I did want to mention something about that first scene that we just broke through because I thought it was interesting. The second time I watched it, so the first time I wasn't really following exactly and to your point about needing to really pay attention. I wasn't exactly following the geography enough. I was too wrapped up in, the look of the world and i didn't really pick up that that coffee shop was the one that he had just been in um but another thing i missed too is that when we walk out the camera looks around it comes down and he walks past a couple of police officers uh which you never see like uniformed regular police officers again in the entire movie except in that scene you see like the the immigration cops the like the guards the soldier types but you don't gen i guess there's the one instance on the road where you see the cops yeah but it's it's quite rare which made it interesting and then when you get to the end and realize that or not the end but like i don't know an hour later or whatever it is and they're like oh the government blew that up not not us that you're like oh there were cops did they do it are they the ones who blew it up well there's cops in the shop at the start too in the opening yeah, frame. yeah. there's two cops sitting watching the diego baby diego news um yeah i didn't i didn't have any of that run through my head but then again that's cool i just didn't think about it and, so. and i don't know that that's necessarily intentional but knowing what was coming it made me look back and be like oh i wonder if that was the point right. or if that yeah, was yeah. just like no, I um, and one of the things I did watch uh, a couple days ago after f- watching this for the first time in a while was I watched a YouTuber YouTuber reaction to this, and it was it wasn't it what he didn't understand the whole premise like the baby infertility premise until like well into the film, well Which, well into the film. That's that's crazy. Like that first scene sets it up like the fact that they're talking about youngest people in the world like that should show you right away but if you're not i get but i under kind of understood it because he was just mesmerized by the frame it was like looking at things and films have kind of taught us to a little bit dismiss what the new like the news readers are saying like that's 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 fair that's i guess fair. though the way the other way this film opens is on it opens on uh black uh and it's yep. it's just audio of various you know it does News the reports. it does it, it does it does the district nine you might say it well or it does i mean that's the district become nine a, does it that does a standard um 
that because it has done it like that's become a standard post-apocalyptic dystopian yeah. futuristic near future thing apocalypse happens here's the news reports that show it dawn yeah, of the yeah. dead style like, yeah yeah or, yeah exactly or like yeah 28 days later yeah, Shaun of the yeah. dead all of those movies do that type but of thing. something i guess on that point to the which i guess leads a little bit to the production design part of the world building is that if you're paying attention to the ads and the newspapers like every time we're in the city there are ads and newspapers and and stories and videos and articles going and every single one of them is crafted to tell you what's going on and if you're paying attention and if you're reading it and the second time through for this show i paused a bunch to like read some of the newspapers and read some of the articles because i was just like i'm blown away like when he's in the Uh, When he's kidnapped by the fishes and he's in that newspaper box room, every single one of those newspapers was handcrafted for the movie to reflect some element of the world building to fill it in and make it, you know, so you can you can pick up exactly what happened. Well, not exactly, because he still leaves it kind of ambiguous about the why women are infertile. But yeah, um, yeah. But I mean the other thing can be that the world is it seems that the world doesn't know why as well so it does seem that way yeah um which is actually something i more interesting now watching this movie because in like 2015 2014 studies started coming out saying that uh the male fertility rates across the western world is where the study was commissioned but i don't know if we can extrapolate that across the entire world but either way, uh, they're dropping, and they, the theory is it's based on some sort of testosterone thing, but they actually, the big thing is they don't know why. Oh, interesting. And then, um, and I didn't write her name down, but there's a main um, biologist, I would assume, that's on, on top of this, uh, Dr. Uh, Shauna something, I believe. Okay. Um starts with an s as her last name as well um but she her in like her big claim that was in a book a few years ago i think in 2018 or something like that was that by 2050 50 percent of people will need um medical aid to get pregnant wow 50 percent and that, yeah uh, is in the claim in the in this study essentially um Anyway, uh, I don't it, know. It, it adds some dark realism but, to well, this world but again. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, and it so it adds a whole dystopian like it, it it it's another thing that a this movie is prescient about, but also yeah yeah that the that a lot of dystopian movies the one of the big things the characters are searching for is the why they're in this situation. Yeah, well, the whole human project plot line is uh, yeah trying to find the answer exactly and the cure but it but that's the whole thing is that like um inevitably if this something like this does happen there's a good possibility we may not know why or there like there may be theories but no science may not all be agreed upon i mean that's science though right i feel like there's so much of it that's you know there's theories but until you prove it there's different theories i mean but something's will always remain in theory but there yeah. but like science agrees upon the like 99.99 percent like the big the ba- stuff that we call the rules big, the big bang theory is mm-hmm. a theory because they don't actually have like i mean they they have evidence for it but but they can't prove it without 
uh, a shadow of a doubt that other other things could be the case. Right. So, so there, uh, but there, you know, the science community as a whole agrees on that. Like tick, because everything else we know, we kind of have based off of that. The yeah, fun, yeah. Those fundamentals. And so, but yeah, there's a, a, if, if a world ending thing like this comes about that it's an infertility thing that could, it would cause mass chaos. It would cause violence. It would cause a lot of things like this movie depicts. Well, there was an, there was an interesting change too, uh, from the book to the movie, which was that in the book, it's actually the males that are infertile and that it's, they can't produce sperm anymore. Whereas in the, in the in the uh in the movie that it's that women are infertile which um i thought was an interesting change until i realized that alfonso Cuaron did not read the book he specifically didn't read the book yeah um so i imagine that like part of the big writing crew is that other people wrote the book read the book wrote the script and then he came in after to like storycraft that's but, interesting um yeah no i i had read that as well that he didn't read the book and then there's a couple other changes like uh julian is the one who carries the baby right yeah um and then essentially the book didn't have any of the um refugee stuff that's all that's all alfonso caron but that that also makes sense because this movie's built uh, was made and crafted and constructed essentially in the shadow of 9-11 and the and the nationalist fever that blossomed after that the bombing scene was shot two weeks after the fleet street bombing in london uh in a similar location i think close to kind of things yeah that i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of political tension in the time that this was made that it certainly draws from that must have been very touchy for them to fly or the neighborhoods that they were near for that bombing because you have to in film at least Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in vancouver if you were to do an explosion set like that you would have to do you would have to tell the all the neighborhood that you're doing it so that when it goes off people don't Thank call the, the police yeah, and yeah. flood the um so that would have been very touchy to be like going around two three weeks after a terrorist attack and saying geez a week after because oh, they would have had to fly after, the week the week because they shot two weeks after is what i read oh. which means that a week after they would have been flying which means that one week after a yeah, bombing yeah. if it was the same neighborhood which it sounded like it was, but maybe it wasn't exactly the same neighborhood. But yeah, but either way, either way that's, that's a touchy thing to be. Yeah, all of those people would have been close enough to to that neighborhood that you know. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, the the other things I guess with um, with the with the I guess the efficient filmmaking that mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you and I have both been talking about for the world building is is that they do a lot of uh in world montages i want to say like uh so they they use up op- they use opportunities like when he's on the bus to kind of show you the world outside the bus yeah, yeah, so yeah. first rocks and stuff get thrown so you're like okay violence which i was wondering about that there's also you know billboards that you keep passing that are again providing world building information the whole L- quietest L- thing where you're like oh what is this well there's also an there's also one that says um fertility tests aren't an option yeah or yeah something along um, those lines um, like you have to cut you have you cannot it's illegal to it, miss it's your illegal fr- to miss the test yeah yeah because they're still testing all I assume um, pregnancy or mature women. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, and 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 also like when he's kidnapped too. Um, the scene where he's grabbed. Uh, the people 
who are standing they're blocking like a a newspaper article and as they as they bag him and and go off they're revealing a newspaper that is talking about how the fishes who they're a part of just did a bombing so like it's literally who they are is already told to you in the in the set deck before they you even know which is yeah that's yeah. i could go on and on there's so many examples of that kind of thing yeah and the the movie is i think brilliant in how it delivers its information to the audience i um also you find out about julian you find out that so i mean it's alluded to that julian and um and theo are we're a couple and that and uh, that kind of thing is you find that out kind of right yeah, away yeah. when when she's introduced, but, but it's ne- it's never really stated though. But, Nobody but says it. The first time we visit Jasper after his tough day at work or whatever, when they do the scan, that's where you're first introduced because there's a picture of them and what would be their child, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. So the first time you see Julianne Moore is in a picture with Clive Owen in Jasper's house. And if you're one of those people who can remember faces really well and pays attention to those details, well, then you'll pick up on that. I mean, yeah. And she's Julianne Moore. Like also, it's yeah. like one of the more famous, famous actors in the movie. And yeah, so, I mean, Clive Owen's close, but I feel like he's kind of underrated because, well, and this is also like 2006, like Julianne Moore is, is like in a bit midst of a heater right now yeah, in her career yeah, yeah. when this movie comes out. So, but that also, uh, you know, Caron uses her um, for that shock value as well for yeah. her, for her death, which is the second major cine one one that we were talking about. Nice lead in. Why don't we get into that? Which okay, so I I looked up a little bit because I uh, that is the second longest oneer in the movie, and they built this insane rig to shoot it where they had. Uh, a camera rig in the center that was designed to be able to move around and pan 360 degrees and they put it in a car that they had custom rigged so that all the seats could fold out of the way in the middle of the shot so that they could turn and get what they needed to get the windows could fold out so the camera could come in and out like they completely customized this car for this shot so that the camera could move without any obstruction for this like four and a half minute take of uh, them being chased down, which is just like uh, a Herculean effort of of rigging and and uh, uh, problem solving, I guess you might say that film has become kind of known for. Yeah, and specifically this director, like yeah, yeah, one of his next major films after this was Gravity, or not? Yes, or not yeah. next major, but like, but like one, one of, of his more biggest recent following. Yeah, yeah. And that movie, I mean, that movie, I think, opens up with something around a 12 to 15 minute one. Yeah, I, I saw a pre-screening of it, but that was the only time I watched it. So I can't remember exactly. But I remember there being a lot of that. And it, and I think that movie and went on to win Oscars, but it also won a technical Oscar for its cam- for its work in camera achievement or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, something. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, that, that movie, he loves, the director loves moving the camera around like that. And... Um, I will say this. This is, I guess, going back to the kind of the opening of this thing with the unnatural, natural look of this. So you've kind of touched on a bit of what we talked about, which is um, the camera is is you, the audience, and you are a character in this movie, but you're not recognized. Yeah, yeah. And And you're running around and it's got that like... You know, so, like when they're chasing it down the hill and you can yeah. see the steps oh, of the person. I will say, I saw a bunch of behind-the-scenes stills and shots of Alfonso Cron with the camera on his shoulder doing that opening shot. Oh, 
I don't know that he operated it for sure, or if he was just like he did it. He does like a whole full walkthrough with. With the I know there's a lot of directors arm. who like to do but, the walk first to get. Yeah, an idea but usually they then... just use the director's lens, like which is just the handheld yeah, the lens attached to an eyepiece. Yeah. Uh, usually they don't walk the whole camera, and he had like the camera and the cans on it and everything because this is film. Like that's a heavy rig to like yeah. just walk the shot with. And and I mean, there's enough money on this movie, and he's a big enough director that. It's not because they had no budget and yeah, no time, yeah. So right? he might have, but he might have operated, anyways. But you're right. The shaky camera. The, what I'm pointing out is that shaky footstep feeling handheld, not this. Yeah, because there you can do handheld with various rigs and stuff like you've already said that feels almost steady cam. It's a little less glidey than the steady cam, and it, so it, people like it more because it feels slightly more natural. But this rig that they do in the car is very glidey doesn't feel very natural it feels it and the reason i brought up gravity is it has that um floating that like gravity list film (laughs) uh feel that like floating feel it it moves it also like i think part of that is maybe the amount of lateral movement like it's more about the panning in that like there's some movement but the movement within the car is restricted until you get out of the car now so the camera that's the other thing so i thought see i thought i knew they had i they had built the car like that and i because i saw shots of it with the roof all cut out and the camera in there but what i didn't i thought it was a follow car or something that they had used on it like with a russian arm rig or something like that because and the reason i thought that was because it comes the car at the end of the scene drives off and we're on the side of the road and the that's all feels i thought that was one shot like uh chuatel ekiafor shoots the two police officers and we're still in the car when that happens he bounces out of the car uh then clive owen jumps out of the car we follow clive owen out of the car and then he says get back in the car clive owen gets back in the car we watch the car drive away and i don't remember a cut in there so According to IMDb, it says there was a rig built by Do- Doga Cam, Doggy Cam Systems. Okay. Anyways, I don't know how to D O G G I Cam Systems. Um, and I, I maybe I, I having reread it now. I think I might have misread it because it does. They don't specify what the rig is, but it looks like yet yeah, it's a rig that is uh operated by a stunt driver so it, they do probably have a follow so, car with a russian yeah arm. so that and that or it's built on a uh, and they they somehow did a blended cut in that to get outside thing and which then, a lot of those those long oneers had anyway they did digital well stitching, i remember but, when we were in film school and we saw this none of us could see the cuts and we were all like the first two times we watched this because i remember we watched it one night and we literally watched it the next night and we were like this is amazing i've watched it twice in three days and i was looking for cuts and i was still struggling to find them you you can find you can find them and actually the blood spatter does a little bit of the work for you at the end because it changes a little bit but it feels like a oneer so then the intention is the same to me like because that all the oneers trying to provide is a feeling that you're there with them it's to provide that not not claustrophobia that's not the right word but it's but like, like it that, puts you in the middle that, of it yeah you're you're supposed to be yeah. in the mix right? i mean that was the whole thing with 1917 and that whole movie like the i think the longest take and that was nine minutes but it's an hour and a half two hour movie that looks like one shot so it's- and i'll say this that movie had a bit of in the blocking you kind of felt them 
pause in certain moments, almost like they need to get stuff ready for the turnaround. Yeah, there, there and there's some... a few little moments that uh, the upon rewatching that I noticed a bit more. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't really notice it the first time through, so it's not that it's not a mistake, quote unquote. But yeah. it, you do feel it. This movie, if you're looking for it, this movie, I don't like. I don't think they like. You don't feel that. You don't like in the car when it slides into the driver's seat where where that and that seat needs to fold out, and so you're looking because yeah. it spends a lot of time somewhere where the between where the back part of the driver's seat would be, looking at a two shot of Julianne Moore and Clive Owen playing the blowy ping pong the, the ball ping pong game. game. Yeah, yeah. Also, by the way, I was like, that all has to be digital, right? There's it no has way to be. I, there's I no way no they idea. nailed that in yeah. one take. No. No, not possible. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe they're just that skilled, but like that, that had, uh, yeah. they, there's not enough money and time to, I, to but spend by the that way, well, well mimed then if that's oh, all digital. Yeah. I could not tell. Yeah. So in, impressive. Um, but yeah, no, that the, this movie does a really just, yeah, just does a, like, I guess, um, and this is something we've kind of talked about on a few different episodes. Um, and I kind of have an internal battle about it uh with as far as style because you very much can feel the director and the dp style on this uh movie to me yeah, um yeah but one of the cool things about it is because you're like oh man that's so amazing it it makes you go they really thought that through they really thought about that well like so for that last that last big one or that like seven or eight minute one yeah. that's at the end there from what i was was finding like that shot took them two days to get they spent two full days shooting it they didn't get they only got one take that was the full run everything else was partial takes and it was five hours of setup every time they went for a second take to get all the people in position to get everything where it needs to be to time everything out i i I, that's actually uh makes an excellent excellent point that i wanted to say about this film and that's the background performers in this film oh man are stunning like mind blow some of the best background performances you'll find in film and i mean i know they they probably had to run casting for some of the like speaking roles of like the old serbian woman in the in the in the jail that even one time. the like, the boss uh at his workplace his first workplace when he goes in and asks for the day off or whatever um that guy has a, a character name and thus is a cast actor yeah for sure even um, though he doesn't have but a line. the but background yeah but background people and in that final uh bricks bricks at hall or whatever when they escape he hits Sid. Bex Hill, I believe. Or Brex Hill, yeah. That's right. Anyway, uh, uses the car battery to smash Sid in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I th- I think it's just after then. No, is it? Or it's either that when he's... No, I think it's when he's pushing her on the wheelchair. Uh, and they come out of a building or around a corner. And you see a woman wailing and she has a child. Yeah, they... she's got the dead, dead husband, I think, in her lap. And she's yelling oh, something see, in another language. And this is, again, going to my... Uh, christian upbringing but like i instantly read that as her child because i read that as 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 uh as the famous uh michelangelo uh pietro oh yeah it it looked to it looked to me like an adult but this movie is full of religious references that um me being someone who has not spent a lot of time in most of my um religious study was in studying uh, in my English degree studying text and reference in that form. So my 
my attention. Like I didn't even the first couple times I watched it, I didn't even pick up on the like the barn virgin birth, like right. the, the very clear like we're trying to make a Jesus joke like, here. This this movie's well, if we want to just do a quick aside on the biblical stuff because I have a little bit on that, but like that, so that image there comes up a few times. Um, once also when he visits his cousin, the art uh, protector or collector or whatever. Um, the arc arc of arts so the 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 big picasso that's behind him Mm -hmm. is the garita um which is like a famous anti-fascism famous anti anti uh franco painting that picasso did whilst in exile in paris essentially yeah yeah and he did it on behalf of the republican civil war side of the national versus nationalist versus republican spanish divide um, and then this is about a town that's in kind of northeast Spain, I guess it would be. And it's in the Basque region, which is like a separate French-Spanish kind of region. Oh, okay. And uh, famously, essentially, the Nazis bombed the bejesus out of this town. And they bombed the market. And they, they bombed like the market in midday. And so this is a picture. This is Picasso's rendering of what the market, like the chaos of the market. Wow. And in there, there is a mother with a son dead laying across her lap. Oh, and it, okay. It, I hadn't seen it's that. It's literally just over Clive Owen's shoulder in the like medium shot of him. Wow. And so it's there and then it's later in the movie. So that's why I was like. Maybe oh, maybe that is that. true because I know like I looked at it and it looked to me like it was an, an older person, but I also didn't get that reference. So I would be inclined to think that you're probably more correct than I am but, if there is a more correct reading. Yeah. So the baby reveal thing you already mentioned, like she's not um, embarrassed of her nakedness, which is very like Garden of Eden like. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. W- humans in the store in the Genesis story essentially weren't embarrassed by their nakedness until they ate from the fruit uh, the tree of knowledge and then they became ashamed of their bodies and covered up um and then so she's not afraid and barely covers up essentially and then yeah and then of course it's in a barn and he he and later sid both react by saying jesus christ yeah yeah literally (laughs) (laughs) and then uh um well the title itself comes from uh psalms uh yeah. 93 and uh that's essentially it's it's moses i believe talking to god and then he's essentially saying like i understand we're not that like much of your part of your life and and we're we're just like a blink of the eye that kind of thing but and you have all power and everything's to you and that anyway um, I just I just looked at the quote that I copy pasted and it look it looks like you summed it up pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and um, um, but yeah, so this is uh, and then children of men. The specific quote I think is more is the King James Bible version because in other versions it says things like mortals and different things like that. So because there's a thousand different translations of the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. This specific quote comes from that one. But yeah, then, uh, so Jasper gets shot in the hand first, which is like very stigmata-y, or at yep, least that's yep. something. Again, I was looking a little bit for this stuff. Theo is, is dies from a gut shot, and Christ on the crucifix was giving it, given a lance spear, which is apparently fi- like the final thing that did him in. It's which, also a very slow death, bleeding which, out from your stomach. Well, yes, uh, but also, um, so when I grew up, the crucifix stories told, and Jesus is like struggling, dying on the cross, and a and a like it's 
the way I was always told to me is it's like as la- one last ign- indignation against him as a Roman soldier spears him. Oh, interesting. See, I didn't but, know that part. But, uh, well, a lot of crucifix, down, especially down in Mexico, actually, where they show a lot more of the injuries and the blood, uh, you'll definitely notice if you see a, oh, a crucifix okay, in a church okay. down there yeah. with a slice in the side. Um, but what I wanted to say is that uh, listening to h- historical podcasts and stuff, so people, because crucifixion was such a terrible way to die, and essentially you su- your organs suffocate you, that people used to barter with whatever little possessions they had left, literally the clothes on their back and stuff, to passers-by to get them to try to kill, like either like to pierce them there and stuff so they could bleed out and things like that. So it was less... It would take days. Right. Otherwise. So... so whilst i was given the reading that it was a like a further punishment and a further smearing of jesus on the cross there is a reading of that event that is that is a soldier taking pity on this man and stabbing him there so that he dies quicker uh which i always found interesting but anyways at least in this film i thought with especially the amount of blood in the little rowboat and the way he was holding his like side of his stomach yeah, yeah i felt like they were trying to evoke the G- jesus injuries oh for sure and then uh theo wears flip-flops like sandals oh, i wanted like, to talk about that um, though too if only just because footwear is something that is not really acknowledged much in in movies generally because yeah. it's such a mundane little detail yeah but like in a post-apocalyptic world you want to have good in shoes yeah well this and is... they actually take the time to like he look he's got flip-flops and the whole movie he's walking around in flip-flops he's warming his feet up and then at the end he gets that pair of shoes but he's already okay. damaged his foot so the thing i think you just referenced saying warming his feet up is when he has the feet the in bowl water. Of water yeah so that's see i took that as another biblical reference because numerous times in the Bible, Jesus washes the feet of people oh. from beggars to to his disciples, and That's it's a way totally of like humbling himself before uh, other humans is to wash their feet and that kind of thing. That makes a lot of so sense. So that that's what that's the reference I was getting from that. I and think also, that that's probably what it is. And then I thought that's kind of only then did he actually get the sandals on, but maybe it's at the yeah. No, house. it's after he 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 has his his feet in it. And then when they make a plan for where they're going to go, he goes into a room, tries right. on a bunch of shoes. The only ones that fit are the sandals. And then later he like full like, feels full like John McClane when they're in Bricks Hill. And he's like, like basically barefoot because he's cut running and, and lost it. Yeah. He does that point where he like steps on something and like... Like a piece of metal and cuts hop. his foot, I yeah, think. Yeah, a few bit. He has like um, one shoe on, I think, at that point. But Yeah, so then uh, uh, we kind of mentioned it already, but like La Pieta, which is... Uh, uh, I'm terrible at, but it's uh, it's Michelangelo uh, carved. Uh, it's in the Sistine Chapel. It's Michelangelo's carved um, Mary holding the dead body of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like a famous depiction. And yeah, that's what I saw there. I saw that in, in the Picasso, and so I felt that was a big thing. And I also felt that like because in the Bible story, the Romans are presented a bit as the the fascist overlords. I felt like in a weird way that could be seen as a bit of anti-fascist art and there's a and so can the picasso also so could the pig flying thing yeah yeah pink floyd well that's pink floyd and that's from animals and animals is a reference to animal farm the orwell move uh, story rather and also 
all of the like little references to Banksy throughout as well. There's a bunch of like Banksy pieces in there. Oh, see, I missed that, but I, like I, I missed it too because I don't really know his stuff very well. But I, I saw, I read some stuff on it about how like there's one in specifically in the Ark of Art, but also throughout there's a couple of other references to like his his well, graffiti yeah. on different and, walls and, and in fact that when we first walk into the arc of art and you, you see the david with the replacement shin bone uh la pieta or whatever gets me- referenced right away by his cousin he's like we we got this in time but we weren't able to save that so there there's there's this leads me to an interesting thought that i had because i didn't again with the whole non uh, not part of my young life thing i didn't read as much of the religious elements into it as i know you did but uh, something that I thought was really interesting is this sort of sense that um, without without kids, without children, people have lost their humanity. Uh, there's this reference of like people not being alive. She's like, oh, she says, oh, I felt it was alive. I was alive when she's talking about the baby kicking. Um, and there's this whole sort of like nihilistic given up kind of element. But there was this really interesting thought I had about the arc, the arc of the arts. Uh, where art, which arguably is one of the most human parts of us, it's one of the one of the things we do that no other animal on the planet really does. Um, it's something that sets us apart. It's something that we, uh, as much as people often sort of dismiss it, uh, it is an extremely intertwined part of our our brains and our lives, and when he goes into the arc of the arts and he's talking to him and he talks about that madrid thing where it's like oh that was a a big blow to the art uh art to or yeah he says that was a big blow to art and then um the response from theo was and also humans because at this point humanity has almost been like pulled from this artwork he's not thinking about the humanity in the art he's just he's got art and he's putting it up and whatever but like there's almost in a noah like fashion he's as opposed to trying to save animals and stuff his arc is saving humanity and the way he's saving humanity is by saving our art and you except that he's lost that touch with humanity no, in doing so no exactly exactly it's a kind of a catch-22 kind of thing because he's divorced himself from the humanity and 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 when theo later asks him how doesn't he like go mad doing this and he's like i just don't think about it yeah but then later equally we see him contemplate well i i read it as him contemplatively as he drives through the slums in his rolls royce or whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah uh that's interesting and you're right um it's why like every philosopher has work on on aesthetics is because the like the like the study of beauty why be- beauty is such a like subjective thing yet millions of people find the same things beautiful why is that and things like like do you know what i mean yeah it's almost like there's there's it's like if you could find a formula that i mean there is i mean there's a formula to making movies movies that people think are beautiful and a formula to how to paint beautiful paintings but but it's the thing is you yeah i guess you can find it kind of in a cold formula a little bit but like equally for people to describe it it's it's it it gets into that indescribable like uh area for humans that we don't have the tools capable of describing beauty describing because you can kind of and that formula kind of thing like the golden ratio and stuff like that that describes why it's 
perhaps beautiful, but it doesn't under that doesn't describe the connection it makes in our brain to why we yeah why that is comforting I guess to that's us and what, what I was thinking and what about like why does a sunset make you feel a certain way like yeah what, or a sunrise like um, or all or of that like, stuff is and I'm sure actually there to to be honest there's probably a lot of work that's been done on this that I've just never read that's like oh a sunset is comforting because these tones are comforting to humans for these reasons I mean a, a big example to totally get a little bit off tangent for a second there but like I have a, a friend who's an archaeologist and and uh, an amateur sort of like enthusiast paleontologist and what anthropologist and uh, he once was uh, explaining to me the reason that people find vistas so beautiful like when the reason people like to go to the tops of hills and look out over everything and and all that is because it's this hunter part of us that likes to be able to see our land and see where our prey is going to be and kind of like plan out our hunts and whatever and it gives us this sort of vantage point of knowing where we are in the world um and that that was like the evolutionary reason why we like standing on top of a mountain well but, but at this before, point but even before even non-hunting reasons i would say like humans i think i think we're in caves longer than we've been not in caves at this point and so like a vista thing could also be like a more still feel evolutionary speaking rare to see yeah 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 do you know what i mean and and it's it it gives you a sense of of like where you are and and there's like there's that scientific describable like this is why we enjoy this or why we do that. But I also think that especially in the modern day and age where those kind of things aren't applicable, there's still like, there's so much in, in why we, why we experience the emotions we do in these beautiful scenarios that like can't really be quantified anyways. And probably, and I don't think should be, but no, but, but it's, it's either way. I guess the point being is that it is truly, or it, it appears to be truly a human experience beauty insofar as, as we know, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's that whole argument I that mean, like the, you can't, uh, you can't prove the consciousness of any being except no, your no. own, and, but, and you know, and there, and you could, I guess, make an argument with the plumage of certain animals trying to attract mates and stuff that there's some sort of aesthetic inherent in that that those the dances of birds the mating dances yeah, of birds yeah, that things are like that so the, i guess so the, so it's, it's maybe not not an entirely human thing we've just figured out but we're, we're, we're we know it and ourselves and our experiences of it and we don't know any experiences of other beings so we can't i guess we assume that we're the ones who do because they don't tell us about it. Oh, and I, I guess um, back to kind of a little bit of the, yeah. the first off topic thing, which was the Bible stuff in there or the, the religious stuff. And there's there's a lot more. But one uh, a frame I wanted to uh, talk about quickly was in that in the school um, when they uh, when just after he sees the deer. And he walks into that classroom and Key is outside sitting on a, a uh, swing. swing. Yeah. And they're inside and the uh, so they're in shade and in this like dilapidated environment. And there's this frame that you get where they're very right on the right side of the frame and she's kind of center left. Um, and she you see key through a broken section of window, almost like a painting. And it is like a painting. And the reason and uh, the painting, uh, the paintings I was going to talk about were like the old kind of um 
when like old uh, the old Russian art styling of painting on on the like wood, and they would paint. You know, there I think they're well, a lot of people did it, but they're they're one of the ones that I always go to right away in my head when you think of the depiction of a saint with the the golden halo around them, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's around like their whole body. And the depictions of like angels and that kind of thing, the glowing ring around so their heads. Uh, around she is a she's visible. They're staring at her, almost in awe and bewilderment, and that kind of thing. And just and just they for the first time, both the 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 um, the nurse, the one time pa- pediatric nurse or whatever, and and uh, Theo are both staring at her. And to this point in the film, Theo has been very nihilistic and very, you know, ready to end everything. He literally has a line of... where it's like, even if we could solve the problem, the world's in shambles. Why Why should we bother? Yeah, in fact, I wrote that down. Uh, even if they do uh, find the cure, uh, he says something and then he's like, it's too late. The world's already gone to shit. And and he's, yeah. And I would, <laughs> I would be very uh, inclined thinking to it that that's similar how i would react yeah and um but yeah so they they're staring at her and they have this hope and it very recent for clive owen a little longer for the nurse you would suspect and they're just kind of sitting there having conversation and we see her but the window that we see her through is muddy and gross but of course all that's doing is flaring the light so then she's like literally in those in the left center frame and she's bathed in this beautiful warm light and then they're kind of more in colder like the school walls are blue and it's colder and it just feel like they're they're oh and it kind of emphasizes like they're in the presence of this godly being this like angelic figure and so anyways i just it just felt very tableau very like religious tableau when they landed on that frame to me there's also there's a line in there that i found like i i didn't know how to read it um so i'm curious what you thought of it then because they're they're standing there and they have a little conversation and then the miriam the nurse says uh don't worry she's done now and it was almost like there, there, it was in this silent moment where it seemed like Clive Owen was kind of feeling sort of awkward about something or what, like it's after they've been watching her with that. And it's almost like she was doing something out there, like praying or she was, I think she was singing something. Anyways, there's this sense of like this moment that happens and then, oh, don't worry, she's done. And then they go into this conversation. See, I thought there was a point in which they look out and it looks like she's got her pants down like she's using the bathroom at one point. Oh, is that? Because I I didn't catch that. (laughs) Maybe I'm I'm wrong. I just thought she was also doing her business out there, but I didn't didn't think they were staring out the window at her doing that. I thought it was later in that classroom. So I, because I, I'm just saying, I don't know. Maybe that's when that happened. I just though. thought it was interesting because I didn't see that part. Okay. Uh, but I heard that line and wasn't sure. But that, I mean. I, I don't know when that line fell exactly. So it would be hard for me to say. Oh, and the last, um, and this is a bit of a reach because they're a terrorist organization, but the fishes. The Jesus fish, the like, yeah, yeah. The, the that's on the back of vehicles now. The magnet uh, was a is an old Roman Christian symbol to to def- say, to de- identify yourself as a Christian or a secret. Symbol. Yeah, the 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 fish. Um, I think that stems from, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me, but it stems from the 
creating multiple fish yeah, out of one the, on the man, on the mount with a yeah. one piece of bread and a couple of fish he yeah. feeds a whole yeah that, that that leads to an interesting thought though because i know you said before we started recording about how you wanted to talk a bit about the idea of morality and moral relativism um if we want to get into that this might be an interesting point for it because one of the things i i kind of felt is that even like in like in any good or any well-written character i guess you know everybody in this movie thinks that they're the good guys they're on the right side they're doing what they have to do but like primarily i find there's this this like who's the good guy here is it the fishes is it uh is it luke and the people who are trying to like help all these refugees because what they're doing their objectives are good and what they're trying to do is a moral plan but how they're achieving it gets thrown into question whereas with with uh theo's character his objective is a lot less um for the greater good he he seems to always be kind of about like help individual people make people's lives easier or better like for her it's like you know we shouldn't be using her for political gain we should be getting her help so that she can have a healthy baby and not die um so there's like this juxtaposition of who's more right here yeah and um i so there a little bit of a notion that I started developing like in one of the most recent views because we were going to talk about it more critically was kind of the idea that it's evidenced and because we're following Theo the most that he's lost his humanity but Jasper's lost his humanity a bit like he's also they're both kind of living just in the now and they're they're trying to find pleasure and little things like he has that line about that's a hangover well that's the only way i can feel something or at least i'm feeling yeah. something yeah yeah like they they he he's into booze and he's into uh, marijuana and they're both doing that for escapism because they both can't stand the present but they also don't want to leave yet i mean jasper to me always seemed like the most optimistic and um hopeful of everybody in the movie even though like he's clearly kind of given up on his own life He's still like he still holds this sort of positivity, you know, and, and maybe it's because he's got this beautiful hidden retreat in the trees. Like, how could you not be happy with this nice little house? But, yeah, but as wh- whatever has happened, his wife is now comatose. Yeah, and clearly yeah. he's, you know, he's I don't know if he's always been that eccentric or maybe he's just gone a little bit more mad with the amount of time he's been in the woods and whatever. But he's slightly eccentric. Slightly eccentric. Um, but, but I but, guess I guess my overall point in bringing why I'm bringing right. up those people is to say that like I think the whole movie posits that without a without that hope, without that next generation, without that future, that every humanity loses its humanity. Yeah. And then morals, uh, morals in and of, of themselves aren't moral unless they are also um again i just recently thought of this so i'm putting it all together now but it's just that it's just like morals aren't moral in of themselves they're moral as they apply to the humans in the situations necessary so then there are there can't be moral absolutes based because that was the whole thing when we would be in you know class talking ethics and stuff someone would say it's you know the classic example it's terrible to kill well what about like 
you know, people provide examples. What about war? What if someone's trying to kill you? What if someone's trying to kill your family? What if you can come up with a thousand different scenarios in which you would, any rational person would say it's justifiable to kill maybe, maybe in that situation or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's always like, oh, maybe there's another way, but there's, there's, there's a lot of interpretation that goes into how people, you know, based on your culture and based on uh, so many other things, what you view as a moral approach to things. Um, and I think on that human point, I think that was kind of what I was sort of feeling out earlier too, was that idea that um, children as a whole are this idea of hope, this, and it's not even just a metaphor so much as it is literally like, that is kind of how we view them. You know, they carry us forward. We, they are our legacy that uh, when we die and when uh, people kind of don't really remember us anymore at least our kids will remember us um and when you don't have that it kind of becomes like what is the purpose or the point no and that and that's that's exactly why i'm like yeah of course society fell apart like why would you if and that and that elimination of i mean it would take great effort to like find humanity in that world i i feel like well and to come back around to what you were saying about that criticism of this wouldn't be how the world is i think that I think that it would, because I think that if people had no, uh, no hope for the future and no kind of sense of, of like survivability, um, it doesn't matter that the logical thing is, is to try and keep people alive and not kill. What what matters is that people end up not really caring anymore, and so they don't care if they die. Like I mean, when when baby Diego dies, there's that like right before. Oh, what's the? I can't remember now. I just remember there was a, a shot where where Theo's walking through the street, and there's some like shots of like baby Diego being dead and stuff, and then it pans over, and then like ten people just throw themselves out of these windows at the top of like a an apartment building in the background, and it's super in the background. It's off on the side of the frame. You're looking at him doing other things, but there's like 10, what looked to me like 10 people falling out of a window like they were killing themselves because of this baby Diego scenario. Huh. I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't catch that at all. It was so. out of focus. It was out of the way, but it kind of looked like people, like That's stuff was coming no, out of a window, and yeah, it looked yeah. like people in clothes. So I was interesting. like, huh. wow. I'll have to go look look at that again. Um, yeah, that, that's, um, and th- that all, I guess all comes around to, um, like that last, so the last big, like cinematography thing, I guess, um, because when I, when I wrote you, I remember writing, uh, <laughs> use of camera, yay or nay. <laughs> yep, uh, accurate. and you kind of, you kind of express some nay to this point. Um, I, I, I guess I would like to clarify that naying, which is that, I think that it is phenomenally shot. I think it is expertly blocked. And I think that overall it is a masterclass in in how to shoot a movie in this style. I just personally don't know if I always love this style. See, uh, so I, again, and this kind of, and the reason I guess I've gone back to this is because sl- we were talking moral relativism there for a second. And it's because... I agree with you almost every time that th- I don't like this style of filmmaking, but in this film, it works for me. Um, and it works for me because we get that instead of getting uh, someone going, 
man, it's crazy this world we're living in. And then giving us like a 10 minute expositional thing about this world and setting up the environment. Instead, the camera just shows us it. And it could show us in conventional, like, as opposed to, again, just referencing that open shot, opening shot, because it's the first time in the film the camera does it. But when he walks out the door, if we wanted to see what's at that end of the street, we could have cut to in front of him. And then that's, we see that. But he doesn't you, you cut. Could, you could cut to that front and to mm-hmm. the side, and we could then see that part of the world. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying yeah, yeah. conventional no, no, yeah. film language to, to, get, to give that information in a conventional film language way. Uh, we would watch him exit in a locked frame. We wouldn't follow him. We would cut outside to a, uh, a shot that's pulling him down the street. We would probably be on his right or his left side, camera right, so that he's in the left of frame, so that we're looking across the street and seeing all that stuff. And then, you know, we can cut behind him again to see that side and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, then so I guess insert like... on the coffee as he pours it in. <laughs> yeah, and so then wide as the thing blows up. And that's conventional way to do that. And I just felt like also because it's near future, I, it was like more of a license to break film convention a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I So I should, I feel like I keep uh, clarifying myself here, um, which is not how I wanted that conversation to go. But anyways, uh, I I love the wonders. I, I love that kind of style of, 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 um, and I love the way that they use the world building. I think it's perfect. And uh, well, I mean, it's probably not. I'm sure there's, you know. But my point is, is the part that bothered me at all, if anything, was just the like the actual like shakiness and like the the like I love the wonders. I loved the way it was shot. But those like there's moments of someone is walking with the camera that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And I don't think it didn't work. But I think that it was just something that I became aware of it more than I wanted to be in this scenario. I yeah, see the shakiness again sometimes doesn't work for me as well, and but it did work for me here um, to the point that it it I, part of the reason the car scene we've talked about felt so interesting or different or whatever was because yes, it's a for the one of the first light moments of the film. People are laughing for the first time, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and then. Um, but it's also because that camera is just gliding effort, effort, effortlessly around the vehicle, and that felt um, it feels out of place when feel, the rest of the movie is. It feels out of place is, yeah. from the rest of the movie for sure. Well, especially when you because with all the other wonders and like we talked about all the main big ones, but there's a lot of scenes that are just like shots. You yeah. know, like the the giving birth is like four minute long scene of like them coming up and just sitting on this shot of them in in the room as as key gives birth that's a bit of a um a bit of a question i guess i had for you because i bumped on it a little bit which is and i understand that it's been 18 years since a pregnancy has happened but presumably in that time people are still consuming art where there was pregnancies in films and pregnancies and whatever in books and whatever um but that's she made very distinct sounds of pregnancy and and bir- or not but labor labor sounds and birth sounds and and then after hearing a woman like kind of on a uh like a metronomic uh point uh with her with her labor pains screaming and stuff and then and pushing and all that 
then in a bus crowded full of people then well for a bit there but then that part like in the apartment what i mean mean, is in the apartment building how how that apartment isn't swarmed with people that very evening is one of the sticking points uh the world building thing you talked about earlier where you're like it's perfect it is all perfect except for to me except for uh that when we're first in um jasper's house and they do that panning shot that you see the three shot of the julianne moore and and clive owen and their baby um we go across a younger uh a younger um jasper and he's got like long brown hair it's it's a terrible photoshop <laughs> i didn't notice that it's i terrible. did not it like that. stuck out like such a short thor uh sore thumb to me because everything else was so good also um, it's just like it's michael kane so he's like he's so recognizable yeah and he's so like michael Caine well and, is and, just and when this, that picture would have t- been taken yeah it was when michael kane was at his suavest like yeah yeah um, but anyway uh, so, but the, but so I I agree though too that I did bump a little bit on the not noticing pregnancy thing because on the bus uh, all that kind of stuff I think I ended up buying into it mostly just because I felt like uh, I felt like while art was consumed by some the masses didn't seem to have much access to it anymore um right which, which is also that d- d- depreciation of their humanity yeah right? yeah because they're not consuming the art any yeah exactly and um. And I also, I felt like, I mean, we didn't get an exact amount of time, but we know that Clive Owen has had a kid. So we know that it's recent enough that like there are a number of adults, especially like in that refugee camp, there's a lot of older people. So you would think... You mean how long it's been since this thing? Since the, well, since somebody had seen a kid. So like my... It's my been po- 18 years. Yeah. And- so my point is essentially that like, it seems as though there should have been people who would have experienced or known about how a birth would have taken place well, so that even, part i'm like mm. yeah even the traveler w- romanian woman kind of that helps them out later like she's in that apartment building and and so are some other people we see some old people as they walk in there would have been people of age to recognize the sounds of i guess maybe be, you would dismiss it as something insane yeah i guess arguably like the the point to to make that would that would explain it would be that in a movie, uh, in a world that is so nihilistic and so hopeless and so devoid of, you know, births and pregnancies that, like, if you saw it, you would probably just be like, oh, I'm just, it's wishful thinking or whatever, and you would dismiss yeah, it. Yeah, if you because, heard it, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's uh, that's probably the, the best explanation, but I did bump on that a little bit, and you did too, so uh, that's probably something they could have had a closer look at. But other than that... But I, how do you get... I mean, I guess, like, he could have just driven the truck right into the, uh, yeah. the camp or whatever, but, like... No, 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 but I mean, like, I don't mean all the stuff on the bus. I mean just the final stuff in the apartment, yeah, and yeah. that's handled by going, some, like not bringing her through a crowded apartment with with holes in the walls and like that you know sound would travel but bringing her to a like going down to the um the laundry room or something do you know what i mean where it's like isolated and you're like okay maybe people don't hear it there arguably i guess maybe these people are so used to hearing screaming and and noises that they just tune out but a baby cry is such a distinct well especially when you get to the end and there's that that like he walks down and there's that whole like reverence moment where the baby's crying and everybody's noticing and it's just like well everybody stop we will talk about that when we talk more story stuff i think yeah which um, we should get into pretty soon 
Okay, but I first, just because we were talking about the baby crying and people listening, I did want to talk about the sound design in this because yes. I found yep. it really good. I thought the sound design in this, and there's a couple little examples, but the um, the first, one of the ones that I really liked and so simple, but it's um, because it, and another reason why I felt the camera work worked <laughs> because the sound design is designed to the camera. So if something is far away from the cam- from the where the lens is, then it sounds far away. If something's close, it sounds close closer. Uh, some films, you know, uh, if the protagonist walks into a building and has starts a conversation, it sounds as loud as you and I sound to the camera. But this, it would sound distant and echoey, and it would sound right for that room. Um, when Julianne Moore is walking across that little pedestrian bridge with Clive Owen where she kisses him just before they start their road trip kind Mm -hmm. of thing. She then walks down into a little underpass thing. And as she's walking away, she says, she says some quip back to him. I forget what it was. Some little joke with, with him. And, uh, but she sounds distant. It sounds like an echoey room and it sounds like perfect as if I'm there, if I was standing right there and I felt the sound design, did that a lot like it made me really put me really in the place that this this world was the squishy footsteps of clive owen through like damp uh, uh, hallways here and there and when he's in sock feet and stuff or whatever (laughs) and uh all of that and then but also it did some clever things like um when a same thing when we're following julianne moore from the bus the exit the bus right before they walk across that pedestrian bridge um they they give you just a little bit of taste of this little techno music from these like street punks that are or like hookers and street punks which and stuff. by the way first movie to ever use dubstep as part of the soundtrack apparently oh, oh really that's, yeah that's hilarious um but that because that felt futuristic maybe to him when he heard it in 2006 like that crazy zen music well that, that like that industrial like yeah, streaming yeah. music i but love that by the he way he calls it zen a... i was like oh this is what zen is eh? yeah, yeah that's perfect i love this um, anyways but but that little blast um because the camera stays on the far side of the street and watches clive owen walk across the street so then you go oh why isn't it going with you and it's like oh it has another chance to get us a little bit more insight into what this world is a little bit more world building and then it, it turns up the volume on their techno a little bit before the camera jumps up into stays with clive on the other and like follows them across the pedway but it, it's just I just found some of the sound design stuff like that uh, just felt really, um, really placed me at the camera camera's lens. And I think that's what their intention was. And I think uh, well-conceived, gentlemen, because that uh, they pulled it off. I would I would agree with you, like probably 90 percent of the time. I think that overall the sound is really well done. I think it was well mixed. It was there was a lot of really good balance and, and recording. I think there was a couple of moments that. Uh, for me, the biggest thing was there was a few scenes that sounded like ADR um, that I like set, I, when I was sitting there, I was I was listening to this conversation. I was like, you guys are in a room talking, doing these lines. And the biggest one that I noticed was actually the first bus scene when he's talking to Julian, Ju- Julian on the bus. Um, it's so muted and like buses do sound like that, but to your point about the lens thing, I had noticed that they were doing that distancing thing really well. So when we got up there, 
we were far back from them in the bus for some of the, a lot of that shot, but they sounded right there. They sounded really well recorded and out like out of place from the rest of a lot of the rest of the dialogue. And you, yeah, you can imagine that they didn't use production dialogue there because it would the sound quality you would get on a wide shot on the top of a bus with exposed to the elements or whatever yeah and and it stood out because like everybody's ridden a bus uh well not everybody i'm sure but most people i think have ridden a bus and um to me that was the big scene that didn't sound like i expected it to sound like the outside noise was gone pretty much it was very very muted and they sounded like they were in a really well padded room and like i got i got it in thematically in the sense that like maybe they were going for this idea that they this was the first time that the two of them were together and just like talking and being friendly again not asking another for like they were just visiting and being around each other for the first time in properly in 20 years so maybe they were going for this sort of like the world falls away and they're back together again but it it doesn't work because it, they don't yeah, do it again yeah yeah it's the it, only it time sounds, it sounds probably more re- like that's a good way to talk it out but it, it it sounds more realistic that like they got bad audio on the day and they had to re-record it but uh, also I, you, I you can record I, adr yeah, and yeah. make it sound in the world if it's done well and it, yeah. it just felt to me like it was either kind of last minute or it was just Ma- not yeah. done super well uh, but i'm not sure maybe yeah maybe they tested with some other audio and people were getting confused missing dialogue or missing maybe, stuff and maybe, they were like yeah and it was last minute very rush rush or something it's but, possible that a test screening yeah but but yeah for the most like i didn't bump on that i i mean i wasn't i was paying more attention to the like what the camera and blocking and stuff were doing than i was the sound same but, but, but that did, stood out but the the sound quality like i i think i said to you when i came here today that since master and commander which is the first one we did of these podcasts that you and i did together this to me had the best sound mix like the best sound both mix and design to be honest i i, I, I think i, really I, I think it. i agree with you i think that of what we've done this one is the most well executed and it's the most well crafted like it's it there's got a lot of intention to it versus a lot of the other stuff we've talked about since the sound is sort of just like it's functional again right it's that idea of like we're doing sound and and making it sound good because uh and 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 i feel like not not that it's necessarily always true but i feel like the mark of a good like a great filmmaker is is a filmmaker who does more than just make the sound the sound um they do as you can do as much work with the audio tracks as you can do with the visuals if you craft them properly and for the most part i i think that this movie has done a fantastic job of that yeah absolutely i totally agree um so i guess we'll talk uh, about story then and because if they're crafting putting all that attention into sound what have they done for the story which to be fair we've cracked a lot of that already in this yeah, but yeah. there's still stuff i expect said. this to be shorter than it usually is but yeah um and we kind of talked about uh in the cine t- episode or section we talked about um the two first big one are scenes but we only briefly touched on the last one and that's because which is the biggest and important yeah which is partly because and i mean we also kind of touched on the surrounding bits of that so far but um we didn't talk about it because it it's it was like i wanted to save a bit more of it for the story section um yeah. but uh 
overall, what were your thoughts, I guess? I mean, I think it's a great story overall. It's got really good characters who are, they're well fleshed out. Uh, their motivations are, are quite clear. Um, I mean, that's just like the, the critical, like separated read of it is that it's a good story and it's engaging. But uh, I think that especially it does a lot of really interesting uh, a lot of really interesting things, and I can't say that it hasn't like it hasn't been done before. But at the time that the movie came out, I think that it was a pretty fresh take on some on the genre and on what was what was going on at the time. Yeah. So I, I similarly I thought uh, they did it like in the same thing I've been saying all day about the cine. I think this is super efficient in its design. Uh, mind you, the sound design was also efficient. Like. They used any quiet opportunity to give you like an ad that did more world building or whatever, like him yep, sitting on the bus yep. and stuff. Um, but yeah, that that, that whole um, uh, Britain Britain soldiers on ad that plays right at the beginning. There. Well, that and then the whole like they could be your yes. housekeeper, they could be your your friend, it cycles they could back be your every cousin, time. Uh, yeah. your doctor, your pharmacist, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. They're it's, illegal immigrants, and that has that whole nationalism thing. Cycles back around a few times to that. Yeah, ad. so um, all of that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so the, this story I thought did a very good, was very efficient in its storytelling. In that, as you said, the, the characters seemed well flushed out, but some of the supporting characters in this have very little lines and very little screen time, but they do they give you some moments that help define who that person is. Like with Sid, the uh, the, <laughs> the black market guard, guard at the refugee in third camp. person for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, they give him that whole, you know, Jasper trusts him, so you instantly are going to trust him, and then Jasper and he's jokey and funny. Well, and, and Jasper like... gives him that line, tell, call him a fascist pig, yeah. and then so what, what, oh, and he does the whole, you know, he makes him say it, and he do, does that uh, false reveal thing first. Yeah, and yeah. um. And so you instantly find him likable. And then so his turn is a bit like, oh, no. He's charming. He's not pushy. He says things, but he's not rude about things. And he's just like, yeah. he's a lovable, and jokey that, and But it also, it, it, he has to be because, th or else that turn doesn't work. Or the stakes of that turn aren't as high. But so also, then it feels less earned. On no. a character standpoint, I think that he has to be because of what he does for work. I mean, his job, and he, he, we don't get a sense of whether he really likes what he does or not, but he his entire job is to uh, essentially abuse people and get them and, out of the country. And very much the, 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 I mean, we've seen some bad refugee stuff to this point, but this is the, like, we're now going to the, like, worst of the worst areas, and... It's set up very much it, it, like with the photography and everything and with the way people talk about it. It's set up like a concentration camp. Well, and, to, and you get that like that just to talk for a sec about the lead up to where the, you get the movies or the movie. You get the city and you get the little country and it's all nice and stuff. And then the transition from there to Bex Hill is you see fields of like trash gross looking like sewage runoff and factories and that's like that's where bex hill is and that sewage runoff by the way speaking of sound design when the bus drives by it's it has this like glugging like no sound that i was always, i was like 
that made me feel uneasy and it's not natural, but also it's supposed to make me feel uneasy. It's not supposed to feel natural in that. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. And Cause it, it doesn't look like it sounds, no, but exactly. the sound was so well done there that I didn't bother me. And it made me see it differently. Yeah. Like it, I looked at it as though it was a different color and, and yeah. And yeah. And it was viscosity. probably, yeah, exactly. And I, the same. So well done them. Um, but yeah, and then the the when the vans and everything are pulling in through the gated area, and then it has that like um, signage above it. Like that's very to me. That's very like Dachau or Auschwitz or whatever. That's very like entrance to a concentration camp from historical footage I've seen. And well, I've been to some. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Um, it was very interesting and very interesting storytelling that there that they have to take this miracle refugee girl through the through the most the worst place to be a refugee in Britain at the moment kind of thing to get out to freedom or whatever and and i guess on that concentration camp point um and this one's a little more subtle and maybe fits more with the the art and and um and whatever referencing but that when they pull in when they initially get in there uh, this, there's a song playing that's called Arbeit macht frei, which means uh, the work shall make you free in German, which is, uh, and that title was over top of every concentration and death camp that the Nazis ran so, in World War II. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that that, that song is that, but that's, yeah. that song that's was the playing, layer they're And it's layering. super subtle, and unless you re- know the song, you probably wouldn't have caught it, and I didn't know it, and I caught it because I read it. Right. Um, but that just like again, that sets up that like dark sort of atmosphere. Yeah, and and so the story to this point, like we've done, you know, it's the, her- the classic hero's journey thing where there's a refusal of the call, and we see the normal world, and uh, which arguably the refusal turns into acceptance very quickly. Yeah, but um, but it's but he's he does it does it is acceptance, but it's not acceptance for the reasons he ultimately accepts. He, right, he's taking yeah. it, it, it appears to me at the start that he's taking it to uh, see his ex-wife again and also get a little money because he's... They, Even though he denies that. They give us the... They tell us he's broke. We don't know he's broke. We also don't really... Like, he... he it, they kind of say it, but, like, you get a sense from his, like, work well, ethic. She and, says, we know you need the work. And he's like... And then he says, I don't need it. I don't need your money. But that's also, like, that classic sort yeah, of, like, yeah. I'm fine. I have a job, whatever. Well, but, and he calls himself successful as well earlier, too. Yeah, but, like, if you look at what he's doing, like, he's he's working at, at a friggin', what is it, the Ministry of Energy, which is actually a 1984 reference yeah, as well yeah, to, yeah, like, yeah. fill up more references in here. So he can't be making that much money. Yeah, but again, and like uh, like uh, one of our early podcasts we did together as well, Shawshank, this movie is very much about, like, the icons of hope and what, what hope means to humanity and how it's a necessary thing for everyone to have hope and purpose and hope gives you purpose. It becomes that journey of, like, finding a way out of nihilism, which leads me to a question that's going to jump us forward a little bit but i want to know what you think about the ending because so, yeah in what sense yeah so because i am generally a big fan of of movies that end ambiguously i hate it because it like leaves you sitting there stirring with no idea what was happening but like from a filmmaking perspective and a storytelling perspective it's a really powerful way to end a movie and here they don't because what 
what Caron said about it is he wanted to make a movie that started at the end. That, like, the end of the movie is the beginning of the story. It's, well, it's the beginning to me of another story. It's yeah, the beginning of, yeah. it's that, what, whatever. But, like, but I... It's, it's, the, it's the opposition of, like, the hopeful, you know, things are maybe going to work out versus So, I, sure. I read it uh, every time I, uh, I'm fairly naturally an optimistic person, uh, which is, you know, a little surprising, perhaps, to some people that know me, but... I'm generally an optimistic glass half full person. And so I read the ending as a hopeful ending. Um, yes, hundred percent. Clive yeah. Owen p- passes away, but that's not, but he served his purpose as callous as that sounds. And, and the people on the boat are going to be good people in my head. Cause that, that's the, that's the only ambiguity ambiguity I would think is that everybody we've seen has been bad. I, or, I don't uh, haven't had the best interest of this girl at heart, except for Clive Owen, maybe Julianne and uh, Jasper, obviously. I, I but, feel like it's not that ambiguous, though, only because the music, the the camera angles, the way that we the way that whole final scene where the tomorrow comes in and we see it like it's all designed to make us feel hopeful we well we feel like like it's an uplifting ending where we've gotten to what we needed to get to and things might be okay so to counter that a little bit Quran himself this is a quote that he said in an article uh, i read uh we wanted the end to be a glimpse of the possibility of hope for the audience to invest their own sense of hope into that ending so if you're a hopeful person, you'll see a lot of hope. And if you're a bleak person, you'll see complete hopelessness at the end. And see, so, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself an optimist. I consider, I mean, some people might call me a pessimist. I think I'm a bit of a realist. And I, I often, in those kind of situations, would maybe look at that as like, oh, like maybe things aren't going to be great still. But to me, I still I still felt like it was an optimistic ending. And I feel like the music, especially there, really sold me on that. But so as a as an like thought experiment, because I I read that quote in between the two viewings I did of this movie for this. uh, And so the second time I watched it, I tried to purposely like read it as as a as a bleak ending. And <laughs> you can if you want, like you absolutely can, because you if 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 you assume for fact that the people coming on that boat aren't going to have her best interests in heart, then it is a very bleak ending. But and there's it, when nothing it cuts that makes to, us when think it cuts that. to when it cuts to black. Why not? Who's been good to this point? No, but but every everything everybody says about the, those people specifically is that they are they're like. I mean, maybe this isn't as relevant now, but, but it's the like pe- the World Health Organization. Their their objectives are to do good for as many people as possible. But the people we hear tell us that turn out to be unreliable narrators because some of those people are the same people that tell us that the fish are good. I guess that's true. And but arguably the fish are still like good. They do bad things. But their goals are to help people. Sure, but they but, were going to exploit Keith. Yeah, yeah, that's right? true. So they are th- still the prime antagonist. Well, no, I, I mean, I don't know that they... Necess- I think the prime antagonist is the government. Well, but I okay, think, yeah, fair, yeah. I think they're, they're an antagonist as well, as it turns out, especially because there's a coup in leadership um, from uh, Julian to... Luke. Luke. Um, uh, by the way... Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is amazing in this movie. I he thought. is fantastic. He's amazing he in everything, it. but uh, and but he's great in this. 
Um, oh, and uh, before I forget, the one that the thing I thought was the worst about this movie is Charlie Hunnam. Uh, he plays Patrick, the blonde blonde dreadlocks fella. Um, I don't particularly love his acting, but it fits in certain roles. It, it, it fits is for terrible what... in this movie. I think yeah. he's terrible in this movie. Fair enough. I, I I didn't really connect. I mean, all he did was pretty much yell the whole time. Um, he was just screaming at people yeah, every time just, we talked. He to just him. had angry pouty face yeah. and screams. And and then he gets all all grumpy because he shoots Julian. Yeah. And then because of that, his cousin gets injured. And, Which, and now so he's like so they're the super two, fucking mad they're the two because guys on the bike yeah so i killed your he killed i killed his ex-wife and he only he killed my brother that's not fair like, my, like yeah and i feel like that's a thing that movies do a lot with people By the way, and, he gets the same result twice right because he's the one on they hit the door and it opens the bike thing but then he also gets hit by the door and goes into yep, the hay bale yep yep it happens to him twice which i just uh just perfect yeah, yeah. but I, I would say that the scene where he's got them uh where he executes the russian uh refugee um and he's singing that song i thought that part was really well played because it was subtle he was just quietly singing this sort of like song of his people kind of thing and and just it was intimidating but in a way that was not over the top whereas the rest of it was over the top yeah maybe okay fair enough but that 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 would be my only counterpoint of like i really liked that his role there but um but back to the ending and oh uh, the other thing i found is if you do take the ending as bleak and then when it cuts to black and the song cuts out and what cuts in is like children laughing that becomes really bleak it yeah. beca- instead of becoming like an optimistic sounds of future children that they're going to have, it becomes the f- like it becomes that tinnitus thing that she's talking about. That's the that's what's the last sounds you're hearing is the last time you're ever going to hear that. So enjoy it while you can. I never. Ooh, wow. I never thought of that. But as you were saying that, I was imagining that reading in my head and I got goosebumps a little bit from that. That was because like there's 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 that that like idea that people talk about of like oh you know children's laughter it's like the greatest thing unless it's a horror movie and then it's there's nothing scarier than a kid laughing well because detached from the from the innocent visage of uh, a child you you um it's it can be creepy like like you know a a dark uh, poorly lit uh, victorian home with footsteps and children laughing in various echoey ends of hallways is like a tr- scary trope because it's scary as heck. Unless you know that your kid is running around upstairs playing and sure. then it's adorable. And but then, like that's the that's the context difference. Yeah. And then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so if it's if it's detached from the child who is the context for the laughter but but the thing is when you're when I every time I watched it except for that last time I watched it yeah you hear that laughter and and it just brings a smile to your face and you're like hope and it's like that's how i read it. it's like um it's it's you know we you leave a gray gray and dreary seaside scene and it cuts to black and over black you hear children laughing and it like emotionally it feels like a sunrise (laughs) like it feels yeah there's this like upward angle the heroic shot of the ship coming in with the people working and like the uplifting kind of music i felt and then it cuts away from it and you're like okay great and like part of me took that realist approach again of like okay so she's gonna be fine her kid's gonna be fine that still doesn't solve the problem that the world is not necessarily okay and it's the old maybe she's not unique maybe whatever 
reason this happened because we still don't know why it happened. Maybe it's nature's reversing itself. So yeah, like that's, that was literally the read I had it the first time I saw this was like, oh, like that, it's not, she's, you know, she's not giving birth to Eve. Uh, she's giving birth to one of many that are now going to be giving yeah. birth. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, human be like earth is correcting itself or humans are correct or whatever yeah. nature is correcting itself. So, all right. So that, that's kind of what I expected, but I was curious to see what you thought of it. Cause it was, it seemed pretty unambiguous to me about which way it could go. Um, should we talk about that uh, big final oneer in terms of story for a minute here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we should. Go ahead. Well, first of all, one of the things that really stood out is that whole sequence uh, at the end of that as they're coming back down. She's got the baby and it's crying, and it's I I don't know what it was about about that sequence, but like it gave me goosebumps as they were walking. Like everybody's just in reverence to the point of like the fighting stops everything stops and people are just in awe of what they're seeing but then once the baby's out of the way and the silence is broken when another rocket like they just go back to fighting again like nothing's like nothing's changed which i guess lends to that idea that maybe there is a, a more uh more credence to a potentially unhappy ending where you know sure she's okay and and yeah she's going to make it but like these people are still fighting the world is still shitty and despite there being a baby and this renewed sense of hope they're still blowing each other up that's uh, i think that goes to me i i think that is like that's the most powerful scene in the entire movie yeah. and again that's more to me religious iconography which is that's very much mary and joseph and baby jesus in her arms as the three of them walk together like that's that's instantly what I thought about, um, and then that reverence thing. It is because I think it's like we've we've it, to me it's it all goes to the humanity thing, which is in that moment it reminds all those people that are in literally in the midst of chaos and war of of their humanity, and so for that brief moment they can stop and they can. Uh, they can have like yeah they can stop and revel in in their humanity and some people kneel and cross themselves they're and, reminded that they're alive and and all of that and and then it's 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 that same thing that humans without without personal context without that personal like thing that's right there to remind them of that will stray very easily is the moral to it yeah because yeah, as yeah. soon as, as soon as it's out of sight it's out of mind and then the and the fighting resumes in a way and and, and at the end of it all they still like completely carpet bomb the the camp yeah so they yeah i mean i guess in the time it took them to get to the boat and to get out that there was a hasty retreat from the from the government's officials because yeah they go Maybe. in there and they they well or they yeah or they, or they just they bomb, bomb the crap out of their own people yeah fair enough um which i wouldn't put past this shadowy uh, government to do well except for like we've discussed earlier if there's no new children being born you I, the cost of losing a soldier is probably more significant to your army especially because the chances of recruiting new soldiers 
you don't get a new batch every year. But the the government issue suicide kits would argue that that is not necessarily. Yeah, but that's just trying to keep the numbers in line of of the peasants, if you will. Well, that's trying to that's <laughs> them saying we don't have enough army to control everybody. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. we need to lower those numbers. But if we also kill a whole division of our army, then we we need to we need to really push the quietus. Uh, yeah, I guess pill so. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or rat poison or whatever uh, Jasper was using it for. <laughs> I mean, that was interesting. Just like the half aside there, it was interesting because like it was a, a a good little like scare twist moment, but also like I I'm pretty sure that he had it f- for other reasons. No, like, uh, yeah, he, he was he does get he does give it to rats, but he had it for his wife. That's what it was there for. I think it's for his wife mainly is why he had it, but also that of course he would then take his own life shortly thereafter um but yeah i yeah that whole jasper storyline is actually (laughs) really sad i mean yeah it's super sad but also stoner michael kane is like obviously best michael kane yeah yeah yeah. oh no this is one of the best performances (laughs) i've ever seen or of recent anyway yeah yeah because he's well i mean to talk acting for a half sec like michael kane is is generally brought onto a movie to be michael kane you know it's like you bring him on because he is michael kane and you want michael kane yeah and in this movie like you know it's him but but he's playing a character he's not just michael kane and this was also like Sorry, sir michael kane yeah and i mean michael kane did a bit of like career reinvention in the late 90s early 2000s and this is a little bit part of that but I think, and but now, like in the 15 years since this movie came out, he's gone back to being Michael Caine mainly. Having said that, I still love his Alfred. But oh you know. no, no, he's great in a lot of things, and he's great as Michael Caine. There's a reason Michael Caine is amazing. Yeah, and he came up playing versions of himself, the suave Cockney guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I actually we kind of in the world building, like I said at the start, top of this thing, we've kind of we kind of discussed story throughout. So I don't actually have that much left to kind of discuss in as far as some of the dialogue was really creative and really uh, on second viewings and stuff. You pick up a lot of early foreshadowing and early, early stuff that's shared as common knowledge between two characters. Yet there's an irony that a dramatic irony that we, the audience, aren't yet available. We we, and it also isn't available to us yet. It also goes back to that efficiency thing um, where like there's a lot of information that we're never told and there's cues and conversations that are well constructed so that you know like for example again with julian and and theo they never specifically say once uh that they were other than other than when he um uh jasper's telling the story to key but like before that they've never said anything about their relationship but you still through how they talk and what they say you're like these people were together for a long time and they had like you get so much out of what they're saying when just by what they're not saying well and and obviously the child died because it's not there anymore and all of that thing all of that and and then there's that you know and if you have if you the audience member have the question why aren't they still together there's that great moment on the bus when he looks deep in her eyes and then she says i can't look at you you look your he had your eyes yeah yeah and right. you, and at that point you don't know they even had a kid you don't even know they were together right you know nothing and and she says i it's hard to look at you you have his eyes and that one line 
was everything. I knew exactly what they what yeah. they were. As soon as as soon as she said that, I think I I'm trying to remember first viewing if I caught it, but I I'm fairly certain I caught it, understood, and like I didn't necessarily know that that it was like a kid kid, but like I figured it was something to yeah, do. Yeah, I like uh, two people that are estranged but clearly loved each other at one point and then a line like that drops, I instantly will think, yeah, this is a couple who lost a child because that's the that's that that is the reason I think there's some crazy statistic about single parents who lose a child or any parents I think that lose a child but specifically single parents that lose a child. Um I mean uh, single child parents, not single right, parents. Right, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah um that that they uh that they do like divorce or or you know become estranged within a few years and it's like in the high 80s percent or high 70s percent well can and you, you imagine can looking at someone who reminds you reminds of you the of that all worst the moment all the time yeah absolutely there, there there's a world in which like if you're really good at communicating and really good at at being in a relationship then you can use that shared experience to support each other but i think that especially in the world we live in today it it becomes a lot more difficult yeah i i i I have no idea the pain because uh, equally i'm not a father or i've never been a father so i have no idea the love so i can't know the pain same um but i but based on the the heartache i've had in my life i can only extrapolate what i think that their pain would be and yes i can totally understand like even though you love that partner, you love that person you're with, um, to to look upon them and be reminded every moment you look at them of the of the, everything you lost and all the all the years you've lost with that child would be uh, a form of torture that is uh, would be would be banned under the Geneva Convention or whatever. Cause it, yeah, that's just that's just a terrible terrible thing. So on that uplifting and positive note, perhaps we should bring this about to the end of the show here and get to our questions. Yeah, I mean we both alluded to this already, but uh, uh, is this a rewatchable film? It very much is. Uh, it's rewatchable both because it's just a good movie and I can enjoy it every time I sit down to it, but it's rewatchable because of the amount of detail an effort that went into constructing it. Like we talked all the world building. You, every time you come back to this, there's a new detail that you might not have caught before. It, um, it really is, it is everything that you just said. And, and I would say that if I recommend this to somebody and they're not, they're not a filmy, they're not a cinephile, they're not a film, uh, you know, a student to film, um, you know, I'll just, I'll recommend it plainly. But if I know they have any interest in film and filmmaking and, and, the the craft of film i will recommend watching it and then watching it again like make sure if you're listening to this and you're a fan of filmmaking and the craft of film that you do watch this more than once because on the second viewing of this even though the reveals aren't that you know shocking the twists aren't that twisty um there is so much in this movie that is crafted in there um that is so intelligent and so efficient and it really really is um a great use of your time to watch this more than once. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, equally, would you? Uh, I mean, I think we know the answer because if that <laughs> one's positive, then this one's also usually positive. But is this one you would tell somebody to seek out? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, it's not hard to find. You can. You, it's on Netflix, so it's pretty easy to get a hold of. But even if it weren't, uh, it would still be one that I think would be. Uh, it would be worth checking out for sure. 
I'm in total agreement again. I think that uh, absolutely that you should seek this out. This is not unlike some of the other films we've discussed in this series so far. This is a this is a bit of a forgotten masterpiece. It does get referenced because of the camera use. It's still in a lot of like top twenty five and top hundred and fifty lists, and, it, it's, but... and definitely cinephile stuff. But it, to the regular public, this movie is somewhat forgotten. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think if you asked a person who was born in 2005, so they would be what 16 now. Uh so maybe that's a little too young, but so someone born in 2000 that's 21 now. Um that that it, what they like if they had seen this or or do they know what this is? If you say the title of it, would they understand either the book or the film? And I would I would I would venture to guess that they wouldn't. So if you're if you've never heard of this film, if this is the first you've heard of this film, <clears throat> spoiler warning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, absolutely, do seek this movie out. Do check it out. Do watch it. And if you've seen it before, but it's been a while, I would say seek it out now. Go find it. It's on Netflix Canada. I'm sure in other countries it's fairly easy to find on one of your various streaming platforms. Yeah, definitely worth worth the watch or rewatch. And um. But prior to putting it on, did you find you needed to be in any sort of mood to watch this movie? Uh, this question, and I say this every time, but it's always a weird one for me because uh, I think no. I think, and, and again, it's in my wheelhouse of sci-fi where like I can sit down at any point, throw on a, a science fiction movie, and just be into it. But I can see a realm where um, if you're a person who succumbs easily to... Uh, emotions of nihilism or to um, bouts of hopelessness uh, it can be uplifting but it can also be kind of a tough watch because it has especially now with the connections with how the world is and how the world has been that like there is a world where it could you know be a difficult watch I think you can put this on almost any time I would think as well um, but if it's your first time viewing and you get to the first title card that says Children of Men, if that made you uncomfortable, then you should shut it off and wait to another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, you definitely The need last to be image there is a woman holding her own arm as she walks out of a bombed out cafe. And that's kind of the... That's about the level we stay on for yeah. the rest of the movie. Yeah, that holds pretty par. It yeah, holds pretty yeah, par. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say... I would say you... Um, like you, I don't think I don't think you need to be in a specific mood to this. Partly because, generally, the mov- movies that I find mood is really affect- affecting are the ones that are perhaps more more ambiguous in the ending, and potentially um, more depressing. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. This movie, I I don't personally find all that depressing because of that levity moment at the end, the escape. And it's also it's not like it's got. In moments like from District Nine with the uh, the abortion scenes and right. things like that. There's not a lot of overly graphic scenes. Um, I mean, uh, Theo never even touches a gun the entire movie. Like v- violence is not condoned and it's oh. not overly gory. Yeah, you just reminded me. Uh, this insert this back into the. <laughs> uh, we I won't be doing that. Um, uh, but. Um, the the true change in Theo is best one of the best examples of his character's change and character's arc 
is that he uses his own booze bottle that is omnipresent on his person to clean his hands before delivering the baby, which he's been drinking solely. Him, yeah. Oh, and I always I thought that like it, he was selfishly indulging in that in that vice the entire movie, and now and we know people if you are addicted to a vice, it's very hard to especially alcohol go without it. Um, well, I mean, lots of drugs, but yeah, yeah, right there, alcohol. And we don't know that he's an alcoholic, but he certainly... No, appear- someone says, Key says at one point, calls and he's him cer- a drunk. Yeah, but- and he certainly appears to be a functional alcoholic, to what I know a functional alcoholic looks like. He and puts functional, alcohol in his coffee all the functional time. Functional is a question, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the fact that he pours his vice out over his hands, and that's very biblical, too, to clean, cleanse yep, your hands. Yep, yep. Um uh and then deliver the baby i thought was a really cool moment but yeah so that goes to more of i read optimism through this thing because i'm a very optimistic person um or a more optimistic than negative uh, than pessimistic um so yeah i don't think there needs to be any sort of mood um that's fair that's fair so uh, yeah what would you rate it oh that is this this is a tough one i've thought about this for a little while and uh, what am I going to give this? Oh, uh, I'm going to give this uh, 27 domesticated animals that like you. <laughs> oh, that's great because there's like an animal in almost every shot. And, and they, they, they seem all to, love him. They all come. Yeah, they so all. So he must be a good guy because animals, like, animals him. like him. That's right. There's the cat that climbs on him. Oh, those dogs don't like anybody. They like him. So yeah, the. 27 domesticated animals that like you. That's solid. You've almost got your own zoo there at that yeah. point. Jeez. Well, yeah. You know, actually, I think I think I got to give this one like 32 rowboats. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. You know, like your own little armada of rowboats kind of thing, like powerful stuff. Rowboats to freedom, absolutely. <laughs> rowboats to freedom. <clears throat> and on that note... There are spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't watched the movie, please check it out before you uh, you check out the podcast. Or don't. I mean, it's up to you if you don't mind movies being spoiled, but, you know, you've been warned. You can find us on Instagram at uh, Cinematics Podcast and on Twitter at Cinematics Cast. So thanks for watching, and we will catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.